folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card, anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot, nativeshark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so as usual, right before we get into today's episode, quick reminder about our awesome December business networking and gaming event at the Hotel Montan in Fukuoka. Um, we're going to be shooting a video showcasing the venue, the public areas um, that we're going to be taking over for the event, the guest rooms, hopefully a bit of the city itself as well. And you probably heard me say here many times in the past how awesome Fukuoka is, and I still stand by it. So if you haven't yet booked your tickets, now's the time to hop over to the event page, check out the venue, the speakers, some of the awesome food that we'll be serving, and book your tickets. You can find the event page towards the middle of our company homepage on nippontradings.com, and we'll link directly to that page in this episode's show notes as usual. Really looking forward to meeting you all in person, talk some business, listen to the guest speakers, eat some delicious foods, and of course, test and improve our strategic skills with some awesome games, which is half the point of the whole exercise, really. All right, so for today's episode, as I've mentioned here in the past, I've recently been contacted by a couple of awesome young ladies from the States, both of whom are living in Japan these days, and you've already heard or watched uh, my first conversation with Haley who's looking to get into U.S. military rentals here in Japan. We've had that conversation a few weeks ago. And today we've got a recording of my conversation with Anna. And Anna's more interested in getting into the real estate field as a consultant here in Japan. So similar work to what we're doing here at NTI. And my chat with her is um, probably focused more on how one can get into this field without any previous experience, what sort of expertise is required, uh, what the easiest or maybe the best ways to start doing business is. She also asked me quite a few questions about my own experience in that field. So the first half of the conversation is probably more like an interview. I hope you don't get too bored, but feel free to skip ahead. I won't hold it against you. So really interesting conversation, especially the second part about working as a real estate property consultant, finding and working with clients, forming business relationships with Japanese professionals, and maybe getting a bit of experience under your belt by purchasing and managing some property for yourself first, and so on and so forth. I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did, and I'll see you again on the other side. All right, go for it. So what can I answer for you? Okay, also, I'm just going to be taking notes on the side here. So sorry, the kind of camera moves. I'm doing it on the iPad. Go for okay. your life. Okay, well, um, I'm okay with saying like my first name, but um, so my name is Anna, 
and I've lived in Tokyo, Japan for a total of five years and I'm interested in getting into real estate. So I contacted uh, you to, to kind of ask you some questions about that. Yep. If that's okay. Absolutely. So, thank you so much for your time and um, for having me on possibly your podcast. I don't know. Yep. Uh, okay. Um, so kind of just a general question again, but um, so I, I understand you've lived in a few different uh, countries, right, obviously. And um, so first of all, why did you decide on Japan more as permanently, I guess? And then why did you decide to get into real estate in Japan specifically? Because, you know, you could have done it in maybe Israel or Australia, for example. Yep. So I got into living in Japan um, just due to family reasons. So my, my wife's Japanese, my son's Japanese. So if my choices um, on where to live were um, either Israel, which is really nice to visit, but maybe a bit stressful to live in on, on like a regular basis, or at least it feels mm -hmm. that way. Like once you've gone out, come back in as a tourist, you suddenly feel that um, other countries are just not as stressful or complicated, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, Australia was awesome in my 20s um, when I was into, you know, beaches and parties and just like chilling out in nature and that kind of thing. But as I got older and had a family and education wise and nightlife shopping culture, I just felt that I needed a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the third choice was Japan, where I was also able to, to get a visa to live in. So that kind mm -hmm. of became that. And then real estate was really a case of, um, so I, I had a property, just like a one single property in Australia that I was uh, running as a, as a rental for a while. So I okay. kind of felt like if I was going to invest in anything, that's where I had a little bit of experience at the time. Oh, okay. And um, I guess what we started, my wife and I purchased a couple of um, small rental properties um, for ourselves, for just like our personal portfolio. Um, oh, okay. We started with um, three. The thing is also in Japan, they're a lot cheaper than they are in other countries, or at least in other countries mm. in the developed world. Like you can buy maybe... Oh. You know, bungalows in other places in Southeast Asia or little plots mm. of land and stuff like that. But if you're talking about like a stable, legally regulated, uh, safe environment, then Japan is very affordable. Okay. Tokyo and the central Osaka are not necessarily that affordable, but the rest of the country is still very slowly recovering from like two and a half decades of deflation. So prices are very, very cheap. Okay. Oh. So, in our case specifically, yeah. it's meant that, okay, like we liquidated the single asset that we had in Australia and then mm -hmm. that enabled us to buy at the time like 10 or 12 little apartments in Japan. So that gave us a, oh, whole, wow. lot of, yeah, a whole lot of diversity. We okay. could, uh, like we were not dependent on a single, like if you got a single asset and a single tenant moves out and that's it, your income stream goes down to zero until you can repopulate it. Yeah. Whereas if you've got like 10 or 12 of them, or maybe these days prices are gone up a bit. So maybe for the same price, you'd buy, I don't know, six or eight of them. Um, one or two or three tenants move out. You're still well in the green, right? Like you're, you've mm. got time to think about it. You're not stressed on reigniting the income stream and so forth. Mm. And the other side of the diversity is also that um, you can spread out your holdings on few geographical locations which in japan can be significant especially with the earthquakes and, and typhoons and stuff that might happen mm -hmm. to damage the property so diversity geographically is important mm, okay. basically in investing any kind of diversity is always better than none um, okay. and also social socioeconomic profiles like every city in japan is a little bit different to the other city your typical tenant might mm. be older or younger or employed or unemployed or retired so you just diversify so that if something happens within the economy in a particular location mm -hmm. or overall, then you've still got 
other sources of income happening. So it did make mm. sense for us budget-wise and strategy-wise to invest in Japan as opposed to, say, Australia, like where it's very difficult to buy a single asset for less than, say, 300000 a profitable asset for less than $300,000. Mm, yeah. And Israel is pretty similar to that as well. So we okay. did also at some point have um, investments in the U.S., but we okay. found that in the U.S. it's a lot more challenging to manage your investments remotely. You really at the mercy mm. of property managers, which could be more or less professional. <laughs> um, and also we didn't understand the, the geographics and the economics of the U.S. as well as we understood the countries that we're more familiar with. Mm. Okay. Uh, so we ended up um, getting rid of that one too. And now we focus on Japan. So we're not, okay. uh, like our investments are diversified in various currencies, but as far as real estate is concerned, we're strictly focusing on Japan at the moment, at least. Okay. Okay. And um, yeah, so it seems, again, you said, just to kind of sum that up a little bit, like advice-wise, really diversifying um, is very important for you, but also choosing a place that's um, obviously relatively uh, lower risk compared to, for example, um, like maybe a Southeast Asian uh, country, which might have maybe the risk of the government, um, for example, or um, yeah, just choosing a place like Japan, which is a little bit cheaper than, for example, um, Australia or maybe America. And then also you're saying, um, you know, uh, maybe managing something from a distance uh, has a lot of kind of intricacies and complications where it makes it just makes it more sense to manage something that you can actually go to in person if you need to, if there's a problem, for example? Um, it's kind of that. I mean, I'm a big fan of remote investing. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not saying you should not oh, okay. invest in your backyard, but you do need, like, if you are present and you are managing things on your own, mm -hmm. uh, then the due diligence, yeah. due diligence that you'd be doing is concerning the assets that you're purchasing, right? But if you're... Mm -hmm. If you're investing remotely, then the due diligence changes. You really want to make sure that you do the proper due diligence on the team that's going to mm. be managing it for you. Yeah. And you really need to pick the right people for the job and you really need to have alternatives. Like you don't want to have mm. a, like a single point of failure. Like if that property management goes out of business, I have to fly in and handle everything myself. You don't want that. So mm. you want to... You want to make sure that you're doing your homework and preparing the right team, legal, management-wise, um, financial banking, accountant, all of those things. Um, mm -hmm. So we're happy to do that in countries where we're certain that if and when the time comes, we'd be happy to visit on a kind of regular basis. Like mm -hmm. at the moment, we're thinking about doing it um, in Italy, for example, which is a place that we both love. Chicago's lived there for about a year in the past, and we, we love going there when we can. But we probably wouldn't do that um, in the U.S., for example, which is not super attractive for us just on a personal mm. level on a regular basis. Right. So okay. that, that's on the remote side. And with the government thing, um, it, it's true. Everything that you've said that I personally prefer to work in a more stable and regulated environment. But that's just me. Like I'm, you know, geeky by nature and I like paper trails and Excel sheets. And I like to know what's going to happen at any point of the at any point in the, in the investment life cycle and make sure that I can depend on that. But there are a lot of people out there that are more adventurous than me that are feeling more comfortable where they can you know, cut deals and pay half of it in cash and half of it like under the table and get involved with local governments and stuff like that to make the investments work better for them. So it's a personal appetite kind of thing. Some people prefer um, safe, stable, well-regulated and some people are just more speculative by nature. Okay. So yeah, so this is all, of course, right, your opinion and kind of what works for you. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm really interested to because yeah, I know everyone kind of has a different style. But um, yeah, so I also, um, if it's okay to ask you, you said that you purchased um, some rentals in Japan, you said 
10 to 12. Um, are those just one apartment unit or is it uh, like a complex? Um, when we first purchased, it was individual apartments. They happened, okay. to, be, they happened to be in the same complex. We bought them as a bulk oh, okay. purchase from uh, an investor who was holding all three of them. Okay. Um, but they were individual, yeah, different floors okay. of the same building. Oh, okay. Well, that would make it easier then to manage, I guess, all in the same I'm, place. I'm, I don't care. I work with property managers. I'm, I'm not going to be talking to tenants directly myself. So but okay. from my perspective, it doesn't really matter. It was just a good deal. Okay. All right. And is that was that one, uh, were those in Tokyo or you went kind of outside of Tokyo? Like where no, do you so usually purchase? From the get-go, we noticed at the time, and it's it hasn't changed much. We've noticed that um, Tokyo, most of Tokyo and central Osaka um, are probably a little bit overpriced and low on the yield compared to other cities. Mm -hmm. So okay. we weren't really thinking that much about them. So what we did was we were looking at cities in Japan where the population was stable or increasing which already kind of okay. canceled out half of the country. <laughs> and then we were looking at places with good industries and employment opportunities, uh, maybe leaning mm. a little bit at least towards more white, white collar than blue collar, just to get a okay. better tenant profile. Okay. And so we started from the get-go uh, looking around different cities. Uh, we ended up purchasing our first three properties in uh, Kitakyushu. Okay which is probably not some these days knowing what i know it's not something that i would recommend to anyone buying their first uh, property because it is a bit a uh, a bit rough around the edges over there oh okay yeah i and mean it's part way. of uh, it's part of fukuoka prefecture so we were kind of um led astray by the name like we were really interested in fukuoka and this oh it's the same prefecture it must be kind mm. of similar but it's not it's totally different to fukuoka city for example which is what we were interested mm -hmm. in and the, um, the agent that we worked with at the time wasn't really, I mean, they were professional and, and honest and everything, but they weren't really looking to educate us or enlighten us on what's the differences between the cities. We just, you know, we saw the numbers were pretty high and we said, wow, that looks good. And he said, yeah, that looks good. So we ended up buying it. But in retrospect, now that we know what we know about a decade later, um, Kitakyushu is um, extremely blue color. So it's definitely not a, like a professional okay services kind of town mm -hmm. uh, it's also got the highest concentration of uh, yakuza in in, <laughs> in kyushu oh my not, it's not something we run into on a daily basis but it just yeah. it gives the whole vibe to the town where people mm. who are usually not the the best tenant profile and the people who live there mm. from birth can't afford to get out are obviously also pretty low income so okay. We've had more issues with tenants there than we've had in other cities. So if I'm making mm. recommendations to a client these days, this would not be the first city that I'd send them to. Okay. So making, um, you, you have like a clients as in like, like investment or like, what, what kind of business are you doing right now? Cause I know you said that you started a business, right? Um, and uh, well, you've do, been doing business in Japan and now you're doing business with your wife. And um, what, what kind of business are you doing? So we've been doing the same thing since we started. We're basically, um, from the beginning of the, of the purchase, we're a buyer's agents. So we help customers okay. research. Um, like, first of all, we define the criteria together with them. So they tell us their budget. They tell us if they're more... Um, um, looking for something safe and stable or they're feeling a little bit more adventurous if they're more concerned with um, stability or more concerned with getting as you know the highest possible yield and they're happy with the potentially slightly higher risk and so forth okay and um, and then we'll try to help point them in the right direction as far as research goes okay so with this budget and this list of mm. criteria we'd probably recommend a b c d like these cities for example and the property okay. that's this old or this big um and then we would help them research the market and find properties that, at least on paper, suit that criteria. Okay. And then we'd start liaising with the real estate agents and the sellers. Um, okay. 
to see what sort of negotiation options are there, if they've got any caveats that they want to tell us about. And these days we know the right questions to ask so that they have to tell us. And then we submit an offer on their behalf. We do negotiations if that's possible. We do due diligence on the tenant and the building if it's an individual unit. Mm. Um, or on the uh, age and structure if it's a whole building uh, or if it's a house and then once we decide on the property that they want to purchase and they confirm and give us the green light then we handle the whole purchase process for them so because most mm. of our clients are either not in Japan or they might be in Japan but they don't have the language skills or the time or the bandwidth to deal with it themselves so we represent them throughout the entire purchase process. So we work okay. with the real estate agents and with the sellers and with the legal authorities and with the property lawyer. Um, we organize mm. insurance. We organize a property manager. Like we do everything in a kind of sing single point of contact for the customer. Okay. And the advantage oh, wow. for the customer is, is if they... Japan being Japan, if they try to do this on their own, they're only going to be able to work with the very few um, professionals that can actually work with foreigners, which is not that many in Japan. Okay. So by working through us, they get access to the entire market because we can contact just normal property agents or normal sellers. And we present them with a Japanese company and a Japanese face and tell them that they'll never have to talk to scary foreigners and so forth. And uh, mm. they're never going to have to read and write anything in English. Like, don't worry, we take care of everything. We're a Japanese company and you just talk to us. So that okay. sort of opens up the market. Whereas if they were trying to do it on their own as foreigners, um, they would be able to work with maybe 5 or 10% at most, depending on the city of the agents that are available. Yeah. So they get access to the full market. And then after settlement, mm -hmm. um, because... So the residents can get the rental income deposit into their Japanese account and they can pay the expenses out of the account. So that's not a problem for them. Um, mm. For the non-residents, they can't open a bank account here. Oh, yeah. And the vast majority of Japanese um, property managers and definitely building management companies and insurance companies and so forth, they need a Japanese address and a Japanese bank account to work with. Mm. So okay. then we handle... If they're out of Japan, we handle everything on their behalf and we give them an annual statement with income and expenses. And whenever they want to refund and um, repatriate their funds, we send it back home to them. And if they're living okay. in Japan, then depending on how involved they want us to be. So some people just are, are happy to start communicating with the property manager on their own. And then we can just step back after the uh, settlement. Um, but some of them just don't want to deal with it. So in that case, we'll still be on top of it with the insurance company, property management, building management. We'll do everything um, except actually collect the income and pay expenses because the residents can do that on their own. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm like a very much a novice um, yeah. in all of this, but um, you're saying so obviously yeah like you're saying there's an issue with making a bank account if you don't live in japan um yeah. so how does that work then you said so if they don't have a bank account you kind of handle everything yep so what does we, that mean so when a customer engages our services they give us um a limited power of attorney document which gives us the oh, legal okay. rights to represent them in japan in all matters related to property that's why it's limited so we can't like, for example, buy companies on their behalf. We can only deal with the properties that they own. Okay. And then that gives us the right to collect the income for them, to pay the expenses for them, to okay. communicate and instruct um, third parties on what the customer, what the owner of the property wants to do and so forth. Okay. And then because we do all of that, we also do the bookkeeping. And then once a year, we can give them a statement and we tell them, okay, you've got so much held in your account here with us. That's your money. So any anytime you want it, if the exchange rates, for example, are really attractive now, you want to send it all back home, just let us know. Okay. So it's really, I mean, this is a, uh, a little complicated, right? So you really kind of need a team. This would be difficult to do with like one person. 
Yes, if you're like a solopreneur and you're going to be doing things on your own for a start, um, you might want to start, I guess, with just consulting maybe and maybe only for people mm -hmm. who are actually in Japan. Okay. Um, but I would probably argue that you would be finding it challenging just because you're not Japanese. So even if your Japanese mm -hmm. is perfect and you can mm -hmm. read it, compose legal documents and you can talk Kago and you understand every kanji and so forth. Still about half of the professionals that you'll approach will refuse to work with you just because you're a foreigner. Mm, so you've kind of experienced this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and even, this nicely. even us, like my partner is Japanese and yeah. she's got Japanese staff on her team. Mm. But even us, it took us a few years to kind of perfect our pitch like because as soon as a property agent or a seller hears that the actual end buyer of the property is going to be a foreigner who's not living in japan oh. they just tend to freak out even if it's a japanese company representing them so even when it's us i mean definitely not me it can't be me but even if it's the japanese side of our company that's been making the initial contact they still have to know exactly what to say and how to set their mind at ease that they can work with us without fear of foreigners kind of thing, right? So I would mm. say that you would need at least a Japanese partner or staff who is well-versed in corporate speech, who knows how to talk really, really politely on the phone okay? because real estate is a real old school industry, especially in Japan. Mm. So they're kind of expecting certain mannerisms and stuff that um, your average mm. modern kind of even a Japanese modern young entrepreneur might not be very um, experienced with. Okay. So it's probably a good idea to partner up with somebody who's got a few years of experience working for a Japanese company um, and knows all of the um, honorifics and so forth. Mm. And, um, and I mean, they don't have specifically to be experienced in real estate, but they have to be experienced in how to talk to Japanese business folks. Mm. Yeah, because it seems very, very different. And um, I, I just watch YouTube videos, especially with American um, real estate agents, people in, in investing in real estate in the U.S. Yeah. And... Uh, Definitely the things that they teach you for talking to customers, I don't think they would work very well with Japanese people. They're, um, the tactics, I, I think like you said, I, I feel like there's kind of some um, understood rules and how you should speak the corporate language. It's yep. not really like this, like in, in the US, it's like sometimes you want to sound like their friend, yeah. for example. And sales but maybe in japan it's like always formal is that kind of true in or vast majority of cases like in our case for example if it's an agent that we've already done a few deals with and he's gone on property tours with a few of our customers and he kind of got used to me he or she kind of got used to me um so they'll they'll accept me and my casual way of my casual japanese and uh, my jokes and so forth so they'd be okay with it. And I could probably, I regularly do take customers with them just on my own without my partner or our staff. But if it's the first initial contact, um, just showing my face in the room is probably going to be a deal breaker. So. Oh my gosh. You need to, yeah, you need to, I mean, again, putting aside, there are specific agencies, particularly in Tokyo, Sakaniseko, like places that are mm -hmm. a little bit more internationally inclined. And okay. there are particular agencies there that are used to working with foreigners. Mm -hmm. um, but if you only work with those few companies, then your selection of properties and, and the offerings that you'll be able to bring to your clients are going to be pretty limited. So mm -hmm. I would definitely advise to partner up or hire either on a commission basis or on like a starting salary, hire some staff who can do the talking for you in the beginning at least. Okay. Yeah. So, But, but your it, clientele, mm -hmm. what you were thinking, you're not going to have Japanese clients. You're going to have foreign clients, right? 
Yes, I'm. Um, I think that would be better for me, and especially at the beginning, because um, obviously I'm much better. English is my native language, yep. so I would be much better in handling foreign clients than I would with Japanese clients, uh, with my current level of Japanese. Uh, so um, you're thinking, just to clarify for me, you're thinking about being involved in real estate properties in Japan, or are you thinking about like maybe U.S. properties for Japanese buyers, or what? What was your frame of mind there? So I, I think initially I want to stay within Japan okay. just because I'm here and I think that that would be a better start. And But eventually it could be possible, you know, because obviously yeah, I'm American. So going I could go back to the U.S. And if I needed to for business trips, that could be a, a possibility. But for now, I think it's better just to stick nearby. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about. Japanese properties and potentially helping foreigners be active in Japan's real estate market, right? Yes. So investing or buying, um, really the best thing, I would also like to work with uh, Japanese sellers or foreign sellers too. Um, so that's, I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place, but... Um, well, to work with Japanese yeah. sellers, you would need to most likely be a real estate agent, a registered, mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's not an easy um, qualification to get in Japan. Even for people who have been mm -hmm. here for a long time and speak very fluent Japanese, it's it's a tough one. Um, but if you're working with the agents, then the agents are satisfying the requirement for a realtor. And okay. then you can do something like what we do. You can be the buyer's side um, representative kind of thing. But um, okay. I, I would maybe, I mean, look, investment properties is part of what we do. We also do holiday homes and stuff. And uh, just, you know, scouting out land parcels for development and commercial properties and stuff like that. So w we do a lot of things that we've sort of, you know, picked up expertise over the years, but if you're just starting out, um, I would probably, I mean, it's just me thinking, but to be attractive and feel reliable for your potential clients, um, I would either go the route, like if you want to get into investment properties, I would definitely try to first get a few of your own so that you're talking out of experience and you've got, you know, your own skin in the game. And uh, otherwise, maybe focus more on holiday homes, right? So you can be mm -hmm. like the person on the ground to go and scout out locations and look at uh, houses, send them uh, photos and walk through videos and liaise with them mm -hmm. as you're visiting the property, that kind of thing. Now we're going to interrupt this broadcast. I always wanted to say that we're going to interrupt this broadcast to give you a quick reminder that NTI is now partnered with Meta Securities Hospitality Property Fund. And they're offering their mind-blowingly gorgeous Machia townhouses in Kyoto. So there's four of them, each about 100 years or older, lovingly restored and renovated to modern standards luxury. Stunning architecture and comfort, all the modern conveniences, including uh, your scenic indoor or outdoor bath, spectacular dining and sitting rooms, disgustingly decadent Japanese or Western-style bedrooms, high-speed Wi-Fi internet, kitchen, outdoor decks, Japanese gardens, the works. Now, each of these homes can comfortably host two or three families, including kids. So anywhere from one or two guests and all the way up to a dozen or so. And you can rent the entire house to yourself. So no other guests. It's all yours. Run around naked all day and night long, if that's your thing. Supreme Japanese-style luxury accommodation. And since at the moment there are still no foreign tourists in Kyoto, these places are available for rent at ridiculously low prices. So we're talking as little as $430 for a whole week. That's right, luxury accommodation for an entire clan, two families or more, for as little as four, five, or $600 a week. Obviously, the longer the stay, the cheaper the rate is, but you can rent these for anywhere between one or two nights and up to a month or more. So perfect for a weekend getaway, extended holiday, workation, family reunion, company retreat, or even as a gift to a valued client, whatever you might have in mind. 
And if you book these through our website, you're also going to get an added bonus of one or more 3,000 yen. So that's $30 QO cards, QUO. Those are gift cards that you can use all around the country in convenience stores, restaurants, various stores, lifestyle shops, you name it. The number of cards you'll get depends on the length of the stay, but you'll always get at least one of these. So if you're in Japan, or even if you're out of Japan, but you think that you might be able to get in sometimes in the next year or two, and you've been thinking about spending some time in Kyoto, this is your chance to nab the best accommodation deal possible. So we'll link to the bookings page, which also has some amazing photo galleries for each of these properties on offer. Now, they all come with a fully equipped kitchen, but you can also choose to have your meals delivered to the property if that's your thing. The operator can arrange that for you at very reasonable prices. And if you can't see the show notes for any reason, just go to our website, nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com forward slash Kyoto hyphen holiday hyphen rentals, or just go to nippontradings.com and you'll see the Kyoto holiday rentals option on the top right menu bar. Now we are already taking bookings, so some of the properties may not be available on your dates, but me, the security guys are super accommodating and they'll do their best to find you an available property for whenever it is you're planning your trip, get on there, book your inquiry, and take that dream holiday in Kyoto that you've been fantasizing about while these phenomenal prices are still available. And now, back to the podcast. Okay. So for that, you might not need as much as expertise as you would for investment, and you know you could buy into, I, I don't know, are you the DIY type? Like, are you somebody who be interested in doing like renovations, repairs, that sort of things on old old homes and stuff like that? I would be interested, but it also seems a little bit overwhelming. Um, I'm not really sure. I, DIY is in, um, if it was myself, um, I don't know that I have really the skills to do that. No, I, I wasn't thinking doing that for customers. But oh, like thinking, hiring, hiring people. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, if you, for example, you know, in the countryside in Japan, you can potentially get like really rundown old houses for pretty mm -hmm. cheap. So that would maybe be a cheap way for you to get some just experience under your own belt mm -hmm. to buy one of these and then sort of be involved in the renovation, either yourself or with a local company or whatever. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking that might be a cheaper way to get into it uh, compared with actually, you know, going ahead and buying two or three or four investment properties because that's going to be, I don't know, 60, 70, 80,000 bucks. Um, yes. You're going to be trying to approach customers with no experience whatsoever. It's likely <laughs> that they're going to be a bit, you know, reluctant. That's all. Okay. Um. Yeah, so actually just about what you were saying. So I am really interested in investing on my own, getting my own property. Yeah. But uh, funds-wise, um, you know, I'm a, right now I'm an English teacher. I don't really make so much money. So I don't know. I would need some kind of financing or some, like, loan. But I don't know taking out a loan as a foreigner with low income <laughs> how that would work. Um, for investment, it would be yeah. difficult. You might be able to get a loan. Uh, are you um, on a business visa or like uh, a working yeah. visa? Like a working working visa, yes. Okay, so you're probably not going to be eligible for any loan, unfortunately. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, but to, to purchase an investment property, you can start as low as about 20,000 US just to get your feet wet. Really? Yeah. 20,000? Yeah. So if you're not talking about the bigger cities, if you're talking about like satellite cities or prefectural capitals, um, Kumamoto down here in Kyushu is a really good spot to uh, enter the market for pretty low income and the, the tenants okay. there are very stable. Um, oh, wow. In um, like the further reaches around Tokyo, like... Um, Hachiyoji, I mean, it's not a super attractive location, but um, mm -hmm. maybe around Saitama City, Chiba City, you can probably buy something 
it'll take a bit of searching, but maybe for 40,000 or so. Okay. Um, Nagoya, we sometimes see 20, 30, 40,000 US um, little units. And okay. so if you have a little bit of experience and you can put a little bit of savings towards that, it'll just put you in a better position to then recommend your services to other people. Like, look, I've done that. I've been collecting income for a year or two and I've learned this and this and that. And that might be easier. Um, otherwise, like, I don't know. Like the first customer for us took about a year to get and that was even after we already had investment properties and we had experience. So I think mm. it would be pretty challenging unless the other thing you could do is maybe, um, maybe the first two, three, four deals that you do for people, you do for free. Like you don't charge. Sorry. There's a cat talking here. <laughs> sorry. Give me a sec. <laughs> the cat wants to join no, the conversation. She's really attached to my wife. Like two, three, four times a day, she'll just start calling her even though she's not here. Aww. Yeah. So yeah, maybe a good idea is like, kind of like invite someone to be a part of the journey with you. And that would probably work best with somebody who already knows you, like a friend or a family member or someone mm -hmm. that you're comfortable with and they're comfortable with you and say, look, I really want to get into this field. I've got no experience. So I'll do all the work for you for free on this first deal, just so that I can get the experience. Um, okay. But again, you'll still need somebody to cooperate with you on the Japanese side. You won't be able to just hit up agents on your own. They're just not going to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Unless, I'm just trying to think, like brainstorm as we speak if you wanted mm -hmm. if you find someone who's got an interest specifically in uh, tokyo for example or yokohama like the kanto kanagawa area um there are quite a few agents i can hook you up with a few agents that can definitely work with you even as a foreigner oh wow okay and then you'd be able to maybe do at least the first one two three deals with them and with a customer who trusts you on the other side that you're not charging for your services yeah Okay. And that will give you the experience that you need. The only caveat there is that if you're looking at those areas, um, and whether it's you or the customer that you're working with, it's not probably not going to be less than 60000 for a, a one-room unit. Okay. Probably closer to like eighty to 100 Okay. So if you've got somebody who's got a bit more cash than you, who's interested in like giving it a shot as a first deal, um, and they have this much money, then definitely uh, I can put you in touch with agents who will be able to help you through that process. And you'll also learn a lot doing it. Okay. Or maybe co-ownership, like you put in half the money and a friend or family member puts in the other half. Mm. And then again, you can work with a Tokyo or Osaka agent. Um, otherwise... Um, you can do it with us if you want. Like we're an added, we're an added layer of payment. So there's a few extra mm -hmm. percentages involved in that. But then if you do it with us, then we can walk you through the process even in other cities, which might be a lot cheaper. Mm. Okay. You have kind of the I say you have the inside knowledge. You kind of have been in the business for a while. So you kind of know. Um, where is good and right you have your wife speak, is of, is Japanese and then you speak yeah. Japanese so and you have a lot of connections so that would be a huge advantage yeah right? I mean I've got the experience she's the one who's got most of the connections on the Japanese side um, but okay. yes yeah, so if you kind of think of it like a, I don't know like a, it's not an internship because you're not going to be doing any work for us, but kind of like uh, somebody holding your hand through the first deal or two. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can do other cities as well. But I think if you want to be really close and hands-on, the best thing mm -hmm. would be to work directly with an agent. And then um, there are a few good ones in Tokyo that I can definitely connect you with, and they would be handling anywhere around Tokyo. So including Saitama, Chiba City, Yokohama, Kawasaki, where you might find something cheaper, like say 50, 60,000. Okay. 
And um, yeah, maybe, maybe afterwards I'll ask you about some companies I've heard about just to see if you know any, um, if you have any, if you've heard any rumors or anything. Like when I first was thinking Let's about- Let's do that off camera though. Yeah, yes, yes. And when I, when I first was thinking about getting into real estate, I knew I heard of a company and I was about to apply there, but I just felt like something was a little bit off because it just seemed like too good to be true. So I didn't apply there. And then later I heard it was a, as in Japan, you say a black company. So yeah. very um, corrupt, overworking their staff, um, a lots of power abuse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, power harassment. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. So yeah, just wanted to maybe ask you some of that later as well. So I would, sure. if I were to work for a company, I wouldn't go into something maybe uh, suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of thinking a lot of different things. Um, okay. So sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place. Go for it. Um, yes. So again, um, going back, it seems like you said, it's basically impossible to get a loan if uh, I am on a working visa, not a permanent visa, and I have uh, low income. So those are some, those, are, those two factors would make it basically impossible for me to get financing. Well, low exactly. income would always be an issue. Even if you're a permanent resident, you can only borrow, uh, even with a home loan, which is easier to get than an investment mm -hmm. loan, you can only borrow up to seven times your annual salary. Mm -hmm. um, so depending on what you want to buy, I mean, it might buy you something, you know, small and suburban and older. Um, okay. But with a working visa, that's not going to be an option. The only option for non-res, I mean, for, from the lender's perspective, you're a non-resident because your visa could be canceled at any given time. Mm -hmm. So from their perspective, you're a non-resident. And the only options that I'm aware of for non-residents are um, if you set up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company or whatever, there mm -hmm. are some... There are some lenders that will let you borrow for investment, um, but they're focusing yeah. mainly on the centers of Tokyo and Osaka. The minimum loan amount is uh, 100 million yen, uh, sorry, 10 million yen, so 100,000 US. Okay. And you have to put down 30 to 40% of that. So it's pretty much cash out of pocket. It pretty much equates to buying like a cheaper one room on your own. Mm, okay. And they'll also... Um, force you to work for the lifetime of the loan, they'll, you'll have to work with their designated property managers um, just because they mm. want to keep an eye on you to make sure that you're not doing Airbnb or any funny stuff with that. Mm. And also the, the biggest issue is if, if you're going to be setting up a Japanese company or a branch office, then you're going into accounting and bookkeeping and annual minimum corporate tax amounts that are going to be at least two, 3,000 bucks a year. So whatever you're purchasing has to generate at least that. Um, okay. Small, cheap investment property, your profit would be about two, 3,000 bucks a year. So that, that's not really a business plan, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I kind of at the beginning, I, I want to make it the least complex as possible. Um, just because I'm, I'm, I'm a novice and I don't really want to get myself into something that seems too complicated for myself. You know, I, I, um, I wouldn't want to start doing something and then realize I can't get out of it and owe a bunch of money. So it's definitely not something I want to do. Well, I think yeah. in that case, the, the two options I've mentioned earlier, as far as I can see, are probably your best bet. So either... Um, either collect 20, 30,000 bucks in savings and just buy a smaller, cheaper property on your own, just so you can, mm -hmm. you know, learn the ropes. Yeah. Or if you want to work directly with agents, maybe hook up with uh, one, uh, one or two close friends or family members that, you know, you're not going to be fighting about money and stuff who can join up with you. And then you can buy a property between the two and three of you. And that might be in Tokyo or Osaka then. Um, okay. 
And then once you've got a bit more experience doing that, at least with one or two properties, then it might make sense to start marketing the service to other people. Okay. The only other option is like the, the social media way, like document your journey, like, like what we're doing now, you know, like talk and say, mm-hmm. this is me and this is what I want to do. And I'm looking for people who, you know, take the challenge together with me and I'll provide my services free of charge. Let's do this together for the first year, build up a following until, you know, somebody, somebody uh, just gets really excited about you and your personality and decides to join you. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good option, I think, for me at this point, mm. um, especially going in without so much experience, just kind yeah. of doing as much research as I can and just helping people um, maybe for free at first. I'll give you a link to this video, so that'll be help you kickstart your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. People who are going to watch this and they're going to be like, banana. <laughs> Japanese banana. That could be like a, your tag, your tag name for the channel. Yes, banana. That would be funny. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I I do have um, a couple of more questions. I don't know. How are you on time right now? Um, my next one questionable. one o'clock. So I want to be done by twelve forty-five if we can. So still got a bit of time. Okay. So I just wanted to ask a couple of more questions. Um, One, the first one is very simple um, about uh, you're saying, um, you know, getting the brokerage, I think brokerage license or the real estate, the real estate license in Japan is really difficult. I also was reading that's really difficult. Even obviously native speakers of Japanese, it's in Japanese. And there's like a 15% pass rate, yeah. which I heard is much to do because a lot of people, um, uh, they don't care so much about real estate. They just started working for a real estate company and they don't really study. So that could be part of the reason why it's only 15%. But um, so do you or your wife have this license or do you know we from the oh, okay. we from the get-go decided that we don't want to get it or not not as a business strategy anyway my wife okay. is interested in it and uh, kind of joining study groups and she might end up getting it at some point but as a business if you've got a real estate license and then you start working with other realtors um, then by law they have to share their commission with you right so for example If they're representing both the buyer and the seller, then they are collecting 3% plus change from both sides. Mm -hmm. But if then, if they represent the seller and then we come in and say, hi, we're also a broker and we've got a buyer for you, then they cannot collect the uh, commission from the buyer side because we're collecting that, right? So in those cases, because they're legally obliged to share their commissions with us, they would be preferring to sell direct if they can. Okay. So for us, it's actually a selling point when we strike a relationship with a realtor for the first time. One of the first things that we say to them is, we're not an agency. Don't worry, you can keep your entire commission. You're going to be representing both the buyer and the seller. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we, we get paid separately. Like, don't worry about us. So that actually mm-hmm. enables us to get a lot more deals than it would have if we were a registered agent. And also because we've also we've always got a realtor involved in the sale, uh, unless a customer happens to be buying from another customer, which is pretty rare. But in most cases, there'd be a realtor involved in the sale. So all okay. of the contract contract drafting and the official uh, licensed explanations that they need to give to other people during the pro, like we prefer to leave it in their hands, and we okay. provided we provide a different suit of services to our customers. So we are happy not being an agency. Okay. Okay. I think that was what I was confused about. Um, Cause I, I, I know you were saying you're kind of like you're a buyer's agent, but I was confusing that with a real estate agent. Yeah. Um, buyers, agent. buyer's representative or buyer's mm-hmm. advocate is probably a better way to put it. Okay. 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 That's interesting. So it's oh, okay. That makes sense. So it's kind of a separate. You offer separate services other than just. Um, I don't know. We're not a brokerage. We're not a realtor. Yeah. So there, there's okay. other people handling that. I mean, it's a very popular. 
Um, it's a very popular way of work in other countries. It hasn't really, mm. it hasn't really caught on in Japan except between foreigners. Mm, interesting. So I don't know too many. I know a few companies that provide this kind of service to foreigners. I don't know any that actually do it with Japanese buyers, um, which is a shame because we often see them being um, not screwed over. I mean, Japanese are Japanese. They're always going to be honest and buy the book, but the realtor doesn't, usually except some rare cases they don't really have the buyer's interest in mind they want to they've got a particular list of properties that they want to offload preferably the ones where they've got exclusivity to from the seller preferably the ones where they're not going to need to uh, share the commission with a, another realtor on the buyer's side and they're really interested like as soon as there's an inquiry through the door they're really interested in just convincing the person to buy that. So they're not going to lie, but they're not going to exactly highlight everything that might be a bit risky. Mm. Um, so I would argue, and, and you can read online, if you look at Japanese websites that have, you know, reviews mm. about real estate companies and stuff, it's, oh, this agent, you didn't tell me about this and this and this and that. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good idea to have somebody who's on your side. We end up saving people a lot more mm. money and costly mistakes than whatever our fee is. Mm. Yeah, I've heard a similar thing where um, in Japan, I think you're legally allowed to withhold information. Um, I guess, was it, is it the, buy, the buyer or the seller? If you're representing the seller, you're legally allowed to withhold information. Certain information. There's some stuff. Yeah, certain, certain information. Yeah. Like, like I said, like with our first deal that we made, the agent was obliged to tell us if there was anything physically wrong with the property. Um, but if we don't ask about the tenant's payment history or we don't ask mm-hmm. about whether that particular neighborhood is a good one or a bad one and what, you know, what sort of experience they've had with vacancies in that area, if we don't ask that, the agent will never, unless it's an agent that we've been working with for a while and they know that you know, they've got return business coming their way and, or they're just that way inclined, they're more honest and, and uh, outgoing. Most cases, if it's an agent that we've contacted for the first time and they know that we're going to be gone after this deal, um, mm-hmm. they just wouldn't they wouldn't advise us on anything that they think might be better or worse about the particular property. I mean, okay. and, and it's fair enough. It's not their job to do that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So there's definitely some of that going on. But like you're saying, I mean, if it's not their job, it's not their job in a way. But on the other hand... Um, it definitely feels better for the buyer to go through a service like you, who you know you're going to give them the information that they're wanting rather than there's a likelihood of if you go to a, a brokerage or a real estate agent, they might be withholding something from you. Not really withholding, but they're not, they're not going to tell you stuff that, you know, how can I put it? Like, especially if it's your first deal yeah. in, in a foreign country. Often you don't even know what questions to ask, right? Like, no, that's true. That's what true. is it that I should be looking out for? Like, you know, a lot of people come to us for the first time and they say, oh, they don't, they're not even aware of Japan's population trends, right? Like, they see this really on paper looks like really high return property out in the stick somewhere. And awesome, I want to buy that. But hang on, this is Japan. Like, if you look at the population, if you look at the demographics for that area, it's going to be running out of people in like 10 years time you know you don't you don't want to buy in that town it's really not a good idea you've got a tenant in there now but the moment they move out it's going to take you years to find a new one if you ever will so especially in a different country it's if you haven't worked here before you just don't know what questions to ask so it's really good to have someone on your side okay that makes a lot of sense Mm. that's definitely true okay And uh, let me just look at the time. Okay, so maybe I could ask um, a couple more very quick questions. Um, Yeah. We can take this up another day too. Like, you don't have to get it all crammed into today. Um, Okay. I know maybe there's no point in really getting into this, but um, I know you were saying um, much earlier that... Um, as a foreigner trying to invest or buy in uh, Japanese real estate, it can be um, your choices of who to go through uh, are very limited because 
I guess uh, the agents who can speak English or who can help you help you through the process in English are limited. Yes. And in within those groups, it's a little bit sketchy. Is that true? It's a little bit. Um, I don't know. Are there? Is there a lot of? Uh, complaints about a poor quality service or because there's less competition um, they're like trying less or I don't know have you heard any bad rumors about that limited um, number about those limited number of agents not, not does this question make sense okay no no, no I understand what you I understand what you're asking not particularly or at least not more than typical Japanese realtors. Like again, if you look right. at Japanese reviews of real estate agencies, you'll find a lot of that as well. So it's not necessarily connected to foreigners or not foreigners. Mm -hmm. um, the vast majority of agencies that we work with are fine by the book and they're at least professionally competent, even if they're not, you know, the top of the top helpful, but there are a few bad apples in, in every batch, but, um, not that many and in Japan specifically I think when they they can't really be that bad because again it's a heavily regulated industry in a heavily regulated country so they do have to renew their license every couple of years and if there's too many complaints all that might be actually bordering on them being criminal or, or you know breaking their con uh, breaking their uh, license requirements then they would lose their license so it doesn't happen much but mm -hmm. I think what you might find with the companies that specifically relate to foreigners is that um, aside from a few cases that I'm aware of, a lot of them, because they need to provide that added infrastructure of translations and explanations and hiring bilingual or trilingual staff, their um, overheads are quite high. Mm. So they'll prefer, they can't raise their fees because a realtor fee is, is, is designated by law. It has to be 3% plus 60,000 plus tax. So they can't raise their fees, but they'll prefer to focus on properties that generate a higher commission for them. Um, just so that they okay. can, just so that they can cover up all of that overhead mm. that they've got. Um, but in recent years, we have, again, this is only in, in Tokyo and a handful of other places, but in recent years, we have found more and more even smaller, more nimble agencies that are actually uh, hiring English speakers. And, and there are quite a few good ones out there. Um, again, we can mostly recommend, the ones that we've worked with that we can highly recommend are um, at the moment, unfortunately, only in Tokyo and maybe one or two in Osaka, Kobe. Okay. Um, the only exception would be kind of holiday internationally famous resort. So like Niseko up in Hokkaido um, okay. has quite a few agencies that can service you in English, but their properties are pretty darn expensive up there. <laughs> the kind of holiday ski village um, that caters uh, to travelers. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't had much experience there ourselves, but in and around the U.S. Army bases, so in, in and around Yokosuka, in and around the Nine, Okinawa, and a few other spots, there might be a few agencies that you can work with, but I can't really testify as to how professional they are or not. Mm, okay. Um, but the ones, the ones that, I've, that I can recommend in Tokyo might be able to help with other spots as well. Um, I'm not sure, like the communication that I usually get from them is um, related to um, Kanto and Kanagawa areas. Um, but if you strike up a good relationship with them, they might be able to help you with other spots. Okay. Because they've, they've all got access to the same database. I mean, a lot of them prefer to focus on their neighborhood kind of thing, but mm. they do, they can potentially help you purchase properties in other cities as well, if it's worth their time. Okay. And yeah, because I know the, what is it? The real estate agents, if you have that license, you're able to access the software called Reigns. Yes. You know, but for you, because you're not in an agent, how how are you researching these um, properties? Uh, well, first off, whatever shows up on Reigns usually shows up on the MLS websites normally, like the all of the normal websites that anybody in Japan can uh, can go to. We can also go to the the other like, the added. Know? 
The added advantage that you get from Reigns is you can also see the previous purchase history at a click. So mm. how much it was sold for. So you can quickly run comparisons with other properties that were sold in that building or in that area. So yeah. the way we work is um, we would, first of all, we, we've done quite a few deals with quite a few agents who regularly send us their listings before they even publish them online. So they'll first hit up their investors lists, which we're going to be on and say, I've got just got this property. It's attractive because of this, this and that. Are you interested? So we can often, mm-hmm. we can often pounce on those before they actually um, enter the, the MLS websites and start getting a lot of uh, offers online. Okay. And then if we, if we don't find anything interesting for our clients in those direct mailings, then we go on to the normal websites that everybody else goes to. And then once we find something that we think might be attractive, we contact the realtor, the listing realtor for that particular listing. Sometimes it's somebody that we've already worked with. Sometimes it's a brand new agent. But in any case, once we make that first contact with them, then again, they've got access to Reigns. They can give us all of that background information as well. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, I want to ask a few more, but uh, time-wise, I think it's probably good to end it here for you. Okay. Um, but maybe if you have another chance, I might want to ask some more questions. Sure, happy before. to. So okay, yeah, so- maybe go over what you've written down or maybe watch the video a couple of times. I'll send you a link later. And then I'm, I'm sure okay. you'll come up with a bunch of other questions and we can, uh, we can set another meeting. Okay. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you so My much pleasure. for your time. And um, I hope to see you soon. Nice meeting you. All right. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So that was the awesome Anna. Great talk with a great young lady and hopefully an awesome entrepreneur too in a few years time. I know that I'll definitely be following her career closely and who knows, we might be able to do some business together sometime in the future as well. So I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And again, I really hope to meet you face to face in Fukuoka city in December. I keep saying this, but those among you coming in from Tokyo, Osaka, Nagoya, etc., flights are cheap, but they're already not as cheap as they were a month ago or so when we first announced the event. So don't wait for the last minute, hop over to the event page, book your tickets, and more importantly, book a flight if you need to. And make sure we can actually have a chat and a drink and a meal, talk some business and play some games in our business networking and board games event coming up 10 to 12 December, Friday through Sunday here in Fukuoka. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsors website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku!